not quite up to par today, but uh, I'll do my best. And if I get too quiet, just either go to sleep or wave your hand or something. <laughs> um, anybody know kind of what these are? Predict what their use is? No? Okay. Any guess? A remote? Nope. Yeah, it's not exactly large, is it? It's a, it's a specialized tripod, though. Any guess? For microphone? No, no. No, not for cell phone. And so when you lay your precious guitar down, you put this on the ground and it holds the head up. So the head, because the head's usually at an angle from the neck, so if you're doing something like changing your strings, you can put it on there. Any guess on this one? <laughs> what? Wind speed. <laughs> Not quite, but you're getting warm. It does not hold the strings in place. It's not a cable, but you're, you're also very warm. This is a peg winder. So you know those little things on the head of the guitar to turn the string? So instead of going like this, you put the crank on and you crank away. And it's got a handy dandy wire cutter on the other end. So when the strings are off, just go click and snap them off so you don't get these long strings hanging like So now they make sense, right? Anybody have a use for them? No? Actually, I shouldn't ask because I'm not giving them away. <laughs> I do use, the, use them on occasion. Where's um, the guitar? Yeah, they're guitar stuff. Pardon? Where, where is the guitar to go with these things? Oh, where is the guitar to go with them? Well, one is hanging out in the office, and one is, uh, no, three are, are at the house, so they're just there. Um, <laughs> any guess on this one? It probably was a gourd, yeah. yeah. It has nothing to do with the guitar. <laughs> Dipping for water. This is a drinking bowl that I got in South Sudan. That was a gift uh, from the people there. So yes, that's that very good. Yep, and I think it, it was a gourd that came out of it. But we have these things that, that they don't make a lot of sense necessarily until you understand what they are. And then all of a sudden it makes lots of sense. I get this. I, I understand what this is about now. And we have this sense of revelation that is given to God's people. Things that they would not have seen or understood on their own. But once the word is spoken to them, it makes more sense. So it was that Paul wrote to the people in Ephesus. And he wanted them to understand what it was, what it means to belong to Christ Jesus. That they understood the fullness, the purpose, the point, what it meant, the fulfillment of the promise. And I did want to say to you that I, I don't always understand how the people who design the lectionary come up with 
with the way they put the verses together. And they have excised a bunch of very important verses out of today's scripture. And we read uh, from Ephesians 1, uh, verses uh, 3 to 6, and then we, we skip way down to verse 15. When you go home, read the stuff in the middle, because it's actually really important, and, and afterwards, um, for the rest of the first chapter. But Paul writes to them and said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Just as He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before Him in love. Paul writes to these people to help to say to them, I want you to understand the heart of God for you. Before the world was even created, he had already planned for what he was going to do. And that when we messed up the plan, he had a plan to cover it. And that's why we celebrate the Incarnation. That Jesus was born to enter into our humanity so that we might be redeemed, we might be restored, we might be set free, we might become the people of God. And this is something that we see throughout the scripture, even going back to the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah is an interesting prophet. He was called as a young boy to serve and to speak on behalf of the Lord. And he was sent in a very difficult time because the people were in rebellion against God in every kind of way and had rejected him and turned away from him. And through most of his life, Jeremiah was sent with some very difficult words that he was given to share to the people. And basically, the message was, you have wandered so far away from God that you are going to experience the consequences of your sin. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. And because they had rebelled and rejected the Lord, they received the fruit of that. See, God honors our choices. And they had chosen to reject him. And so, Jeremiah said to them, look, this disaster is going to come on you. And yet in the midst of that, even as God was warning the people and telling them what was going to come, there's still a sense of hope and promise that was in the middle of that. Even as Jeremiah was sent to tell the people, a disaster is coming on you that you cannot even begin to comprehend. Also comes this note. For thus says the Lord, sing aloud with gladness for Jacob and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise and say, save, O Lord, your people, the remnant of Israel. See, I am going to bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. Among them the blind and the lame, those with child and those in labor together. A great company, they shall return here. And they will come with weeping. And I will let them walk by brooks of water. Even as the Lord told them they were going to be scattered or punished, He also said, but I'm going to bring you back. This is my heart. This is my intention for you. My heart, my intention is blessing. I want to bring you back. I want you to know my presence. And he says, when I restore, when I act, when I redeem, I will bring you from the farthest places. 
Then comes this uh, amazing thing. I don't know if you've ever planned a trip to a difficult place. I remember the first time when I was going to South Sudan, and I didn't know what it was going to involve, and I was looking things up. I, you know, I brought a, a mosquito net, and I tried to think of what the circumstances were going to be, and to be prepared for, for difficult conditions. And if you were going to go out into the desert, and you were going to take a companion or two with you, who would you take? Would you not take someone who, A, was up to it, B, had some kind of skill or ability that, that you could partner together, and C, somebody whose company you might enjoy? And preferably, D, someone who had some connections to come and get you help if you needed it. <laughs> but we see this call where God says who he's going to bring back. He said, I'm going to bring back those who are in laboring, pregnant women. The lame, the blind, these are the ones who will go on my highway. It goes back to Isaiah chapter 35. You may remember that when the Lord talks about the Lord's highway. He said, not even an idiot will get lost on it. There's hope for people like me. We can walk on this Lord's way. He said, it's, it's going to be called the holy highway. And there'll be no animals on it that will be a danger to you. So he says, he told that to Isaiah and he tells it to Jeremiah. I have a road back for my people. And those who are in the worst possible condition for travel will be able to travel on it. Because I will bring them back. I will give them the grace that they need. I will bless them as they go. Because my heart is to bring them back to me. I have become a father to Israel. And Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him, and will keep him as a shepherd, a flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and redeemed him from hands too strong for him. See, God's heart is to rescue those who are lost. He sees us in our weakness and in our need. And still he pours out his grace. God's intention is for people to have a relationship with him. It is his heart not to see people lost and scattered and destroyed. And even when we reject him and turn away from him, still he calls. Still he makes a way. Still he invites people to come back for him. But not everybody is open to receive that. We have this gospel reading the, the gospel really fits tomorrow more than it does today. Because uh, the Feast of Epiphany marks the coming of the Magi, the, the wise guys from the East. I know that might be hard to believe there are wise people in the East, but there are. We don't know exactly where they came from. It just says they came from the East. Magi is, is a... We call them wise men sometimes, or uh, we three kings, perhaps you're familiar with that hymn. The Magi were people who were um, educated. They were, you know, they studied the stars and saw patterns in the stars, so there's kind of a, a taste of astrology almost in there, but also of astronomy. They were, um, studied history. They were, it's hard to put it in exact definition on who they were. But what we know about them, as they are foreigners, came from somewhere in the east. 
And God had somehow awakened their hearts to the fact that he was doing something in Judea. They knew that a king was born, that he was in Judea, and that they needed to go. We don't know exactly when. Matthew doesn't tell us how quickly after Jesus' birth that they arrived. Because Herod eventually had all the baby boys in Bethlehem murdered who were two and under, we often say that, you know, it might have been two years after Jesus' birth, but we don't know. God could have told them ahead of time, so they got there the day after. We don't know. It doesn't matter. But we see a contrast. And that was what the wise men saw, what the Magi saw in the arrival of this child. It was the action of God, that God was doing something. And they, they had the need to come and bow their knee in worship. In Jesus, they saw the Lord. Herod, in contrast, in Jesus, saw a threat. And his reaction was to try and destroy that threat. He did not perceive, he did not understand what was going on. He had an arrogance and a pride that prevented him from seeing this was God at work. And it closed his heart. So much so that he tried to kill God. And God was not going to allow that to happen. You can continue reading Matthew 2 to see what God did about that. But Herod's fear, Herod's closed heart, his arrogance, his unwillingness to listen, meant that he missed out completely. On the other hand, these magi, these foreigners, these ones who were not even part of God's chosen people, had traveled miles, thousands of miles perhaps, in order to come and do a very simple thing. To acknowledge what God was doing. To bow their knee before this newborn king. And to give him homage. You notice something very significant in this. They gave him gifts, but what did they do before they gave him gifts? They came in, they bowed their knee, and they worshipped. When we bring a gift to our God, we should remember that pattern. And we bow our knee. We acknowledge Him for who He is. We acknowledge who we are before Him. We worship. Because we need our hearts in the right place before we can give God anything. And actually, we have nothing to give Him but our hearts and our worship. But because Herod had this arrogance in his heart, he didn't see that he was living in the time of the fulfillment of what Jeremiah foresaw and what Paul shared with the Ephesians and with us. This great God of ours has intended blessings for our lives. He's intended to bring us home to Him. And it doesn't matter where we've gone. It doesn't matter if we can't figure it out for ourselves. It doesn't matter if we're too weak, too lost, too whatever to find God. He doesn't expect us to. He has made the highway. He has given us the way to come to Him. And the way is very simple. It's through Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That's why Jesus came. But he gives himself to anyone who would receive him. And that's all we need to do 
really, is to cry out to Him. The reception of the gifts, the grace, the blessings of the Lord aren't some great mysterious secret that's only for those who, who uh, find the secret way. <clears throat> it's not about earning something. It's not about the depth of knowledge we have. It's simply about coming into relationship with Jesus, understanding who He is, and receiving what He has for us. And from there, He takes us forward. He's the highway. He's the one who brings us into the presence of God. And it doesn't matter how equipped or unequipped we are for it. It's not something we have to get ready for. It's something we receive. So Jesus would say to any of us, do you need something? I'm the answer. Are you hungry? Is there something within you that is crying out for more? I am the bread of life. Are you thirsty? Do you feel dry? Do you feel worn out? Jesus said, I, if you come to me, a spring of living water will well up inside of you. It's from John chapter 7. Are you lost? I'm the way. Do you need healing? I am the healer. Is there anything that is crying out within you? And Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will refresh you. Paul said, I need you to understand, O Christian, what God has given to you. Before the world was even made, God had a plan. And He designed a purpose for your life. And that is that you would be holy and blameless before Him in love. He destined you. That's your purpose. To be adopted as His children through Jesus Christ. According to the good pleasure of His will. God doesn't say, if you pray hard enough, if you work hard enough, if you fast enough, I might let you into my presence. He said, I have decided to make you my children. And part of what we skip in the verses that are there, Paul writes, in Christ we also obtained an inheritance. Having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will. And that he would make us heirs with him. God makes us his own children, his own family. And because he makes us his family, he says that he has given us redemption through his blood, forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace that he has, he has lavished on. Paul said, God has given everything for you. He's given you status before Him. He's given you blessing. He's given you redemption. He's called you to a life of holiness. He's called you to be able to go into His very presence. He's given you a name and a purpose. And you need never doubt or fear. You need never doubt or fear that He loves you 
and has good for you. But it only comes in his presence. So it is as Jeremiah writes. He says, praise the Lord, then ask him to save you. The Magi come, they bend the knee, they worship, then they give their gift. So whatever it is that we need from our God, even if we don't need anything, what we need is Him. Come, bow the knee, worship Him. Acknowledge Him as the Lord. Offer Him your praise, your worship, your life. He has so much to pour back into you. What we give is so paltry, so small compared to the grace He has for us. And so it is that Paul writes, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. If you ever want to pray something for someone, I encourage you to steal from Paul. He won't mind. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart and life you may know what is the hope to which he what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power? We're not called to be weak, but to be strong. We're not called to, to just get by, but to know the presence of God. Paul says, know what it is that God has given to you. Pray that for us too. That we would truly understand who God is and truly understand who He has made us to be in Him. All the power of heaven is released in the people of God. It says so in the book. So Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be open and that you would truly understand the depth of love that God has for you, the power He has to transform you, and the power that He has to bring His kingdom into the world. Let us pray. Lord God, we pray that You would give us a revelation, that we would understand who you are and what salvation is, what it means for us. Lord, we also pray that you give us the revelation of what it is to walk with you and to know your grace and power. So we ask for your refreshing in this time. We thank you for sending Jesus to be born among us. We thank you for giving us redemption. We thank you that you are the Lord. We thank you that you make a way for us to come into your presence. <coughs> We thank you for the grace that you give to us. Lord, we ask for the grace to bow our knee and to worship you. We pray that you would be glorified in us, that you would reveal your power and your presence. Lord, we pray that we would know your love and that you would transform us. Lord, help us to know who we really are in you. In Jesus' name. Amen.